Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Thank you all so much for being with us today as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. Uh, what an incredibly beautiful day. Those of you who are sitting inside this morning are really missing out on some beautiful weather. So uh, we're so grateful for this opportunity as we've come together to ga- or come together to celebrate Jesus Christ. Let me just share a few things with you um, as we look forward to all that is in store. Two weeks from today, our plan is for children's worship to return. So um, we, with that being said, there are a few things that we need. You would have seen this in your announcements uh, if you've opened your email. Our concern is that some of you don't. So uh, we need some uh, help in the nursery if you would be willing to serve in the nursery during worship, we need you. And even if you're not willing, we need you to pray about being willing to serve in our nursery. Uh, if you are interested in doing that, you can either call the church office and talk with Autumn, or you can speak with Aaron Taylor. Either way, they're going to communicate with each other and get you in the places that you need to be to serve in our nursery. We also need a teacher for three- and four-year-olds. If that's something you would be interested in doing, is that for worship or for life group? children's worship leader for three and four year olds i'm sorry so if you are interested in that please see miss Rhonda adams um there are other announcements there uh please make sure that you're looking at the announcements we've also got some sacks of love needs so if you'd like to help with that in any way again see miss Rhonda adams as she gets all that up i just want to reiterate what adam said please read your announcements as they come out there's announcements about children that's going to be flooding out there's announcements about a women's conference that's in there uh, there's going to be student announcements that are coming all these things as we try to move forward uh, in the coming days weeks and months if you are technologically challenged and you can't figure out how to access that or if you can't get the email call the church office we will walk you through that we'll help you troubleshoot and get all those things figured out and trust me when adam says it really is just that easy if you'll open up the camera app on your phone and point it at that little code on your on your bulletin it's like magic the announcements just pop up and there they are and you can read them all so uh, please make sure that you are reading the announcements and that you're uh, learning all that uh, that's going on in the life of our church okay having said all of that Let me encourage you to open your Bibles and to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. And as you're turning, I just realized that my technology is not cooperating. So you turn to Deuteronomy, and I'm going to stand up here live on camera in front of everybody and try and fix this technology issue. Use the QR code. I don't think that's going to work for this one, but thank you. So glad we're outside where everyone feels comfortable just screaming at the stage. It's wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read to you this morning what is one of the most important passages of Scripture in in, in the Jewish religion, the Hebrew religion. Uh, It's known um, among the Hebrews there as the Shema. The Shema, because Shema being the word um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, for hear. And so Deuteronomy 6, 4 is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But we're going to begin reading this morning, not in, in chapter 6, verse 4, but in chapter 6, verse 1. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to begin reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. 
Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and the Lord, the God, excuse me, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that this word that we know is alive, Lord God, would burn within us, that you would challenge us and change us through this word that, Father God, as I preach it, I, Lord God, would be changed. And, Father God, as these people hear it, that, Father, they would be challenged and changed. God, help us to understand better today how it is that we may impact others for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last words are sort of common as we think about it. Or we like to think of these famous last words. Now, not everybody ends up with some famous last word. And, and, and the reason for that being that, uh, the truthfully, we don't always know when it is that we're going to die. If, if we knew that death was coming, we would work diligently to have something sort of wise or smart to say. Uh, but this morning, I, I want us to wrestle with the question of how it is that we tell the story and to begin by thinking about some of these famous last words words. Winston Churchill reportedly said, I'm bored with it all before slipping into a coma at 90 years old and dying nine days later. In 1981, Bob Marley was dying of cancer at age 36 and warned his son, money can't buy life. Very few people have these memorable last words though, because again, like I just said, we, we don't usually know that death is coming. It's, it's not easy for us to see it lurking around the corner. But when we come to the book of Deuteronomy, in this particular case, this is a record of Moses' last words, sort of his last will and testament to the children of Israel. About 38 years prior to the writing of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel had stood on the precipice of the promised land. 38 years earlier, the Exodus generation was poised to inherit all of God's promises, and yet the people never left Kadesh Barnea. Instead, rather than trusting the Lord, the children of Israel heard the report of 12 spies and decided that the words of 10 of them should be trusted above the faithful belief from the two. That the words of 10 should be trusted more than the promises of God. 38 years later, same song, different verse. The children of Israel stand on the precipice of the promised land. Nearly all of the Exodus generation had died away. Moses is fixing to die. Joshua will take over. And so Deuteronomy represents something of Moses' last words. It's the covenant code that Israel is to live by 
and pass along. Deuteronomy has a couple of purposes. It is a highlight or, it, or it, a highlight reel of the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. Not in that order, obviously. Uh, so it's, it's a highlight reel, but it's also the covenant code that is to be passed along. It reminds the people of their blessing and their responsibility toward the Lord. In short, Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to Israel to remind them of who they are and whose they are. They are a royal priesthood belonging to the one true and living God. And they have a responsibility to act like it and to communicate these truths to future generations. You know, in your time, or in my time as your pastor, I've preached this passage multiple times. But it is as important today as it has ever been. In fact, I believe that there has never been a more important time for us to share Christ than today. Our world is lost, confused, lonely, and in need of hope. And we have the answer. So I ask you this morning, how are you telling the story? Because where we find ourselves in this part of Deuteronomy is Moses urging the people to tell the story. Now, what story? Remember all the way back, all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we've got the retelling of the Ten Commandments. And it's right on the back side of the retelling of those commandments that we read this urging from Moses to communicate God's word beyond the current generation. And so I ask you this morning, how are you telling the story? If the Israelites, if God's people of Moses' day were to tell the story, it is just as true for us today. How are you going to tell the story? The first thing you've got to do is to know the Lord. Now, normally, we speak, we kind of move a sermon in the direction of a gospel presentation. But this morning, I want to hit this right out of the gates. Before you can really tell the story of God's love and of God's grace, folks, you've got to know the Lord. You've got to have had a, a life-changing encounter with the Lord. I'm talking this morning primarily about the importance of mission and ministry, but folks, we can't emphasize mission and ministry beyond the walls of the church unless we've done our due diligence to communicate to those of you living within this church body the importance, the necessity of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We've got to tend our own house first. And so this morning, as we consider what it looks like for us to take the next step as a church body, the first thing I want to ask, whether you're watching at home, whether you're gathering me in this parking lot, or whether you're sitting inside, I want to ask you this question. Do you know the Lord? Has there been a time in your life, not when somebody told you about Jesus, not was your mama a Sunday school teacher or your daddy a deacon? Has there been a time in your life when you've come face to face with your own sin? You've recognized your own depravity. And you've come into that place where you say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I need Jesus Christ to save me. Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins that way, doesn't it? One of these most important passages of scriptures I just mentioned there in 6.4. Hear, O Israel. But what's the next word? The Lord our God. The Lord is one. He is our God. Is he your God? Is he your Lord? Do you know him or do you just know about 
him? Do you have a living relationship with the Lord? Folks, can I tell you that there's absolutely nothing in the world that is more important for you personally than to make certain that your eternity is secure with Christ? That if you were to stand before the Lord today, that you could have confidence that He would welcome you into His eternity, not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done on your behalf. Hear, O Malvern Hill, hear, O church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is He your Lord? Today and increasingly in coming weeks and months, you're going to be hearing more and more about what we believe the Lord is leading us into as the new and next phase of our church body. Kevin talked last week about the new work that we'll be doing, about how we're going to emerge from COVID, not looking to the past, but looking to the future and what God has in store for us. But folks, before we can talk about what God has in store for you around the next corner, we've got to make sure that you've done business with the Lord. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, the gospel of Jesus is relatively simple to grasp, but it's amazing in its scope. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And because of that lack of faith and because of that sin in our lives, we deserve punishment in a very real place called hell. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus Christ came as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Though we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, the Bible says that Jesus took our punishment. The book of Isaiah says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, that is upon Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. There is hope found in no other name save the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, bled, and died so that you might be saved. This morning, whether you're watching at home, sitting in this beautiful parking lot weather, or seated inside in the air conditioning, I want you to know that God loves you and that God has a plan for your life. But that plan involves this, first admitting that you are a sinner and crying out to Jesus for salvation. As we think about what it looks like for us to move into the next phase of ministry to impact our community and our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's make sure that we get our own house in order first. And if you can't say with 100% confidence that the Lord our God is your God, then let me urge you before you leave this place today, or if you're watching at home, before you go to bed tonight, that you would pray a very simple and sincere prayer to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that you sent Jesus Christ as a Savior, and I need him. Can I tell you this? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single one. And if you're watching at home, if you're gathered with us in this parking lot, if you'll pray that simple prayer and you mean it, I am confident in this. Jesus Christ will save you. As you think about this morning, what it looks like for us to tell the story and how it is that we will tell the story. Folks, you can't tell your story until you have one. And the story for every Christian is sort of the same. It's the story of who I was before Jesus. It's the story of what Jesus did for me. It's the story of who I am after Jesus. It's your B.C. and your A.D. It's before Christ and after the year of our Lord. It's that story that is the story for every Christian. This morning, I want to urge you, first of all, before we talk about anything else, that you know the Lord. Know the Lord. Second, this morning, how are you going to tell your story? You need to know the Word. 
You've got to know the word of God. Moses urged his readers to know and to teach something specific. What was that thing? In Deuteronomy 6, he says, the words that I command you. There was not this ethereal, floaty idea. Know the great spirit in the sky. Moses said, know the Lord. And he said, how will you know the Lord? By listening to, adhering, knowing, and obeying the words that I will command you. The words, the commandments. Do you want to know the Lord? Do you want to teach about the Lord? You've got to know the word. You've got to know it. There's only one way to know it. It's to immerse yourself in it, to swim in it, to sleep in it. Savor his word. Teach his word. To whom was the word to be taught? Isn't that interesting? He says to your children and your grandchildren. Okay? That is to coming generations. It's obviously not limited only to your children and your grandchildren. But, but just remember, we are an individualized people. Moses was speaking to a people that had a tribal group identity. So when he said your children and your grandchildren, he meant all the kids, all the coming generations. He wasn't saying, Craig, you're responsible for all the Thompsons and nobody else. He was saying to the entire nation, you're responsible for those who are coming after you. You're responsible to teach the word. Folks, hear me say this. If we are going to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we've got to know the word. We've got to know it inside and outside. And then we've got to teach it. You say, Craig, you said know it. How can we know it before we teach it? You know the great thing about teaching is that it brings about this reciprocal relationship. How many of you can attest to the fact that, that when you began teaching God's word, you understood more of it? Rhonda, how many of our children's workers can we bring up here and ask them, how much have they learned of God's word by teaching children the word of God? I see a hand going up. I love it. Uh, we, 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 we give away, through the years, we've given away lots of children's storybook Bibles. One of my, there, there's two that are my favorite. It's uh, one of them, I can't remember the name. It's Big White, God's Big Picture Storybook Bible or something like that. And the other one is the Jesus Storybook Bible. I love them. Like, I love them. Love them so much that I will read them to myself without my children. And you should too. Because, folks, when you begin to see God's word through the eyes of a child, the amazing thing happens. You begin to grasp it just the way that Jesus wanted us to. I don't know what that was that just fell, but it scared me. Uh, those of you who couldn't hear that on camera, that was a music stand that just fell, and I thought I was dead. Oh, thank you, Victor. You are my favorite church member right now. Man. All right, what in the world was I talking about? <sighs> Knowing God's Word through a children's Bible. Listen, do you know how many family members, how many parents have come to me through the years? That they came and they said, Craig, I want to teach my children the Word of God, but I don't know how. And we put one of those in their hands. We take this home and read it. And they come back and they say, a couple of things. They say, I learned so much. And I say, Yes. Sometimes I say this, I cried as I read about God's love. I said, yes. There's a reciprocal relationship between teaching and knowing and understanding. So when we say know the word of God, 
That's not independent of teaching the Word of God. Have you known Jesus for more than five minutes? Then start teaching somebody else what you know. I'm, I'm trying to learn to play the guitar. It's awful. Okay? I mean, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. It's I'm, I'm a little disappointed, though. Uh, this morning, when, when I finished, we're going to sing Death Was Arrested. And that's the song that Kevin told me I needed to learn. I feel like I'm pretty good at it, you know? But he didn't call me this week and ask me to participate with the praise team. But I'm, I'm, I'm learning. It's, it's, it's awkward. Like, I can't feel my fingertips anymore because I've, I've got nerve damage from playing chords. I guess reading is a weird thing because I can't feel the pages. I, I play and it kind of vibrates and it hums and, and I try to sing along and, and the kids make fun of me. Angela is so sweet, y'all. She, she can actually fall asleep with me sitting there practicing the guitar. And I'm pretty sure that that's a gift that God's given her as a way to love me well. I don't know anything. You understand? And yet, I was able to show somebody the other day how to form a G chord. And I said, listen, you got to do this. And, and make sure you get your fingers right there. This person looked at me and was like, you ain't been knowing this for three weeks. Yeah, but I know how to do that. Look, I'm no Jimi Hendrix, but I can do a G chord. And do you know that as I showed them, I, I watched their hands and, and it caused me to think about how I was forming my own fingers. I learned by teaching them. Folks, the same thing is true about God's Word. If you know this much, then teach that much. And you're going to find that as you teach that much, this much becomes this much. And then when you teach that and you dig into what you need to do to teach that, it becomes this much. And before you know it, your knowledge has grown. We've got to know the Word. We need to love the Word. But how is it that we're going to teach it? We teach it to everybody. We teach it when we lie down and when we rise up. So does that mean, hey, when you lay down in the bed, you need to be calling somebody and teach them? Figurative language. In other words, what? Teach it always and in all sorts of ways. Teaching God's Word isn't reserved for just life groups or worship or your Bible study that you're doing with a group next Sunday night or whatever. We can and should be teaching God's Word every opportunity that presents itself to us. And folks, as we teach it, we're going to know it better. We're going to love it more. But to teach it, what is it? You've got to know it. Know it. How are we going to know it? Moses says, write it all over you. Isn't that something? Put it on your arms. Put it as frontless between your eyes. Again, this is figurative language. But haven't we all been there? How many of you can remember trying to memorize things for a test and you did whatever it took to try and learn it? You created little songs to try and help you understand it. You, you, you did whatever was necessary. Some of you can remember cheating on a test, can't you? And writing it on your hand and then just kind of doing this. Here's the cool thing. When you're trying to learn God's Word, it's okay to cheat. Write it on your arms. Write it on your hands. Fill out an index card. Stick it to your mirror. Whatever it takes. Moses says, you want to consume it. Allow it to fill you up. You want to eat it and make the most out of it. We need to know the Word. How are you going to tell the story? Know the Lord, but next, know the Word. And let me just put this in there. You know the Lord by knowing His Word. And then third this morning, know the reason. Why are you telling the story? You know that this isn't 
just a mere academic exercise. We tell the story because it needs to be told. Because if you don't tell it, they won't know it. The gospel will not be guessed. It must be taught, told, and shared. Moses understood. And God had given him these words because God knew that if the people were not intentional about communicating the truths of God's word, then it would be forgotten. He said, you must communicate it. Remember, we're 38 years removed from the Exodus generation. The people who had seen God do mighty things were dead. They were gone off the scene. And it was important that this new group of people be immersed in the things of the Lord so that they could move forward in God's grace and do all that God had in store for them. How in the world were they going to know what God was capable of and how much God loved them? They were only going to know it if the people told it. Folks, I want you to understand that our world, not just our world, our community and your families is filled with people who inherit a Christless eternity if they were to die today. And they will inherit a Christless eternity if we do not share the hope of the gospel. Why must we share? Because this Bible is true, because hell is real, and it is the final resting place for sinners who do not know the Lord. Folks, we must share because 80% of the unchurched said they would seriously consider attending a church if they were invited. 80%! Why are they not coming through the doors of our churches? Because only 2% of church members will invite an unchurched person to church this year. Folks, I'm going to say this and it's going to be kind of mean, so just brace yourself. It's not evangelism if you invite somebody from the Methodist church to visit church with you on Sunday morning. It's not evangelism when you invite some disgruntled church member from a church down the road to visit with you on Sunday morning. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's not evangelism. We've got to do better because 27% of the unchurched say they're almost ready to accept Christ. 27%. If we round that up, that's almost 30%, nearly one-third. Between a fourth and a third of the unchurched people that you will meet are on the verge of accepting Christ if somebody would just go to them with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why must you share? Because we have to assume, based on these numbers, that no one else is. Because that person you meet tomorrow may literally have you as their last best hope to hear the gospel. Because this Bible is true. This Bible and the Bible in your hands is true. And the gospel story must be told because sin isn't the end. And that is why we must share. Because there is hope. In December of this past year, wasn't it amazing to see what was splashed across the front pages of all of the news websites. Hope, hope, 
a light in the darkness. And it wasn't talking about Christ. We weren't talking about Christmas. What was it? There were vaccines. They had proven beneficial. They had proven safe. They were going to be available. There was hope. The news was not all bleak. There's hope. Folks, we must share because there is hope. There is hope. The story must be told because God is gracious and kind. The story must be told because Jesus came and died. The story must be told because we hold in our lives, in our ministry, in our church, we hold what? The hope for all of mankind. The story must be told. So in conclusion, brace yourself. This will be one of those long concluding moments. In coming days, weeks, and months, you're going to hear more from me and others in our church about the future of our church. But for now, I want to say that I believe from the bottom of my heart that we stand at the precipice, a real decision point in the life of our church. Our church has an opportunity not just to make a difference today, but to make a difference for years to come. Our community needs hope and help. Our community needs this story, and the story must be told because Jesus is the only way. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to sing loudly and proudly and joyfully about how Christ's love has made a way to let mercy come in. But folks, this news is far too good for us to hold on to for ourselves. It's far too important for us to only sing about it in church. We must refocus our efforts individually and collectively. In other words, you must refocus your efforts when you're out in the community. And we as a church body must refocus our efforts communally, collectively to reach our community and the world. Normally, we approach the end of a sermon and call for a personal response. And this morning, I do want to do that. I want to remind you of what I began with this morning. There is hope. And if you wandered into this place today without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that today can be the day of your salvation. I would love to pray with you and show you how it is that you can receive Jesus Christ. If you're in the sanctuary, one of our other pastors would be down front and would love to pray with you about what it means for you to receive Christ. But in addition this morning, I'm also calling on you, on our church, on you and me and all of us together to refocus our efforts to seek out the lost, the hopeless, the hurting, the lonely. And to share with them the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. COVID slowed us down. COVID was a stumbling block. But folks, the gospel has not stopped. The needs of our community have not diminished. And the responsibility for Christians, the responsibility for Malvern Hill Baptist Church to love God, to love others and to change the world. It was not altered. In fact, it has only intensified with the needs of our world. I believe from the bottom of my heart that we stand 
in a unique moment in the history of our church. A time when we can look around and be thankful for all that God has done and pat ourselves on the back or a time when we can look around and be thankful for all that God has done and then look beyond the walls of our church and see all that needs to be done. I believe that we, like the children of Israel, stand upon a unique precipice. As Moses said to them, teach your children and your grandchildren the coming generations. As Moses looked to them and said, you're fixing to walk into this land, but when you walk into that land and it's something new, don't forget where you came from or what you need to do. I believe we're in a place right now where we've got to decide that we're going to consider what the generations beyond us And those generations can be age generations, but also spiritual generations. Do you understand? Those folks who have not yet been born again into the kingdom of heaven. Well, the generations around us must know what they need and how it is that we might teach them the good news of Christ. Disciple them to walk in his ways and baptize them into new life. Moses was concerned that the children of Israel would forget the Lord. And so today my challenge to all of us is this. I want us to recommit not only to knowing the Lord, but to sharing the Lord. Individually, corporately, and in every way we can imagine. There is a need for the people of God to stand up as more than a voting block. It's time for the people of God to stand up as an evangelistic force proclaiming liberty to the captives, vision to the blind, sound to the deaf, and hope to the lost. This morning as we stand and we sing, I hope that you will raise your voice loud as we proclaim that death was arrested, as we celebrate the redemption of our lives. But I ask you this morning that as you sing, would you consider committing not only to raising your voice to the Lord, but committing to reaching others with the hope of Jesus. If you're inside and you'd like to go and pray around the altar there, they'd love to have that. Of course, you can come up here and pray anytime you want to. You can pray right there in your seat, perhaps this morning. Your commitment to the Lord is just a a song of victory and proclamation. However it is the Lord's calling you, I pray that you'd respond. And with one last plea, let me remind you that if you don't know the Lord, today can be the day. Would you allow us to lead you to Jesus today? Stand with us as we pray. Father God in heaven, you are good beyond our measure. Father, we are sinful and unworthy, but Lord God, you look upon our sinful estate and you had mercy. You showed grace. And Lord Jesus, you came, you died, you rose again. Father, give us eyes to see and behold not only your glory and your majesty. Give us hearts, Lord God, to, to understand the plight of those around us. And give us the conviction to do whatever it takes to impact lostness in Kershaw County, South Carolina. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.